Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 84 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. On today's show, we will be speaking to Cindy Wyatt. She is a mother and ultra runner. This episode is going to run the gamut of emotions. It's going to go everywhere from funny to very serious. We're going to talk about everything from running to modeling to aerobics to fast packing to dealing with abuse and divorce. So you're in for a ride. It's a really good show. But before we get to that show, I want to tell you about our sponsor. That's right. The Go Get Outside podcast is all grown up now. We have a sponsor. And I would like you all to know that in the past, I have turned away sponsors because they did not feel right for this show. But that all changes today thanks to Wild Woman Box. I'm sure most of you have heard of the various monthly subscription boxes. Well, this is a new one called Wild Woman Box. And it is a curated box for women who get out, get moving, get shit done. So every month, a Wild Wind box shows up at your door full of gear you can put to use right away for a weekend hike, fuel to keep you going, products to take care of your body after you've been exploring all day. Basically, those things you need to go and get outside. The thing I like about this box is it gives you an opportunity to try products that maybe you've never heard of, maybe products you've considered purchasing but never got around to, or it gives you a chance to try out a product that maybe you didn't know existed or didn't know that you might even need. It's a great way to try new stuff and get your ass back outside. And if you go to wildwomanbox.com right now, you can use the code GETOUTSIDE to save $5 off of your subscription to a Wild Woman Box. So sign up for yourself, for the wild woman in your life, or hey, maybe you got a wild woman inside you that's interested in this box. There's a pretty sweet beanie in mine, and I already ate the peanut butter bar earlier today. So help out this podcast, help out yourself. Go get a Wild Woman Box. And with that, now it's time to head back to a rainy day in January at the Butcher Bird Studios makeup room where Cindy and I hid from the pouring rain and recorded this episode. So let's go hear from Cindy Wyatt. My name is Cindy Wyatt. I'm a current sales lead at REI, outdoor school guide, event production director, and overall influencer in the outdoor industry. More importantly, I'm a mother. Let's start way back when. You told me earlier that you grew up in Florida. So let's talk about where that was and what that was like growing up there because it sounds like we're both from the South. Yeah. And growing up in the South is a little different than living in California. So let's hear about what it was like growing up in Florida. Yeah, I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. And some of my earliest memories are at the end of the school year, my mom and dad would pack us up. We first started off in tents and we'd go to the same Silver Glen Springs in the Ocala National Forest. We would stay there all summer and come back in August. So three months a year, I would spend camping. This eventually evolved to a pop-up trailer and then a trailer that you didn't have to pop up. I look back and 
the exploring that I did as a kid. There was never like, okay, today we're going to hit this summit or we're going to go to this destination, but that it was just adventure and it was just exploring. That was so important in my life. And I I didn't know how much meaning that would be. That was just a part of my life and snorkeling and water skiing and hiking, but we wouldn't call it hiking. We were just wandering into the forest (laughs) looking for, I don't know, tadpoles or alligators or snakes or or whatever we could find. So I grew up, like I told you earlier, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was a similar situation where the neighborhood I grew up in, we were surrounded by woods. So you would never say you're going hiking, you just go play in the woods. And occasionally you'd stumble across some five-year-old with a machete barefoot in the woods who was your neighbor, and that's just what people did. Also, I spent a lot of time in Pensacola. As a matter of fact, that's where my parents currently live because my mother always loved the beaches in the Panhandle area. And so we did the same thing where we were going there to camp, started in tents. Then my parents decided to buy a VW with the pop-up top that you could sleep in. Then they moved to pop-ups. And now, now they sleep in some ridiculous trailer that's like the size of a mobile home with a larger TV inside their trailer than I have in my house. So yeah, that was the natural progression for me as well. So how did you go from Cindy growing up in Florida, occasionally hiking, but not calling it hiking, going down the beach, snorkeling and all those things to Cindy, who is now on the other side of the country working for REI? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure this will not be a direct A to B progression. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on this planet a while now, so bear with me here. But it was during my time um, living in Daytona Beach that I started jogging on the beach. We would also share that with cars, which is a little unique. Of course, I started running just for the physical results of that. I have continued running. That's been the mainstay in my life for 35 years. I've still I've been running and that's always been my go to. So I went from, you know, staying fit, working in health clubs Uniquely enough, someone opened the door to me being a model in Chicago. No, let me go back. (laughs) This is is not just like jogging down the beach. I I picture the slow motion. So you were jogging down the beach in slow motion. (laughs) David Hasselhoff ran out to rescue someone and then he stopped and he said, wow. And you should be a model in Chicago. Is oh, this is this accurate? This is like you should teach aerobics to the spring breakers for L'Oreal. Wait, is that really what you were offered? That's really what I did. So you were offered a job teaching aerobics? As like an aerobics model? And tying that <laughs> to the marketing firm from Chicago. So so wait, how did how did they come across you? Because one, you're talking about running on the beach. Now you're talking about aerobics. So you, you couldn't have been doing both simultaneously. So how, how, did, how did you get discovered? So just jogging and the urge to want to be fit and that good feeling that it exerted. This happened to be at the same time that aerobics was just kind of starting and um Which, for anyone listening who doesn't know what aerobics is <laughs> think of what yoga would be now except then it was aerobics <laughs> it was a real thing <laughs> it, it is still a real thing but but it is interesting how aerobics was a huge thing and now no one talks about aerobics anymore everyone talks about yoga yoga or crossfit right or crossfit yeah, yeah. those rare young 20 year old listeners i'm letting them know that there was a thing prior to yoga and crossfit <laughs> that they might not be familiar you jump with. around and dance <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) And you lost weight and you got in shape. Yeah. So I was approached by a marketing firm out of Chicago to lead aerobics on the beach to spring breakers. Oh, I'm just picturing. I'm gonna like catapult really fast. I'm gonna like fast forward through this awkward chapter of my life. But I am picturing every MTV Spring Break special right now. And there's oh, now we go to Cindy. She's doing aerobics on the beach. (laughs) All right, so yeah, let's talk about this. The Chicago firm asks you to teach aerobics at Spring Break of all places on the beach, where I'm sure tons and tons of people were really interested in learning how to exercise. (laughs) Just keeping them from not twisting their ankle in the soft sand. (laughs) Yeah. So that introduced me to Chicago, the big city. The marketing firm was like, oh, why don't you just come up there and like, maybe you could become a model, you know? And I was like, oh, wow, fairy tale. Maybe the door is opening for me. Like, I should just walk through it. And I did. And I was accepted into an agency. And I, so I realize this is a podcast and you can't see me, but I'm 5'4". Obviously, no one told me that you have to be like 5'9 to be a model. I am just like, this agency accepted me and I'm just going to go and I'm going to become a model. You had a talent that many of the 5'9 models didn't, which is the ability to teach aerobics on the beach to spring breakers. (laughs) Yeah, it's a rare talent. (laughs) I really didn't want to talk about this. I just want to point Somehow, out. I just want to point out you brought back. this up. Aerobics me. is going to come back because of today. All right. So you're five four, which means for a model, you're not very tall. It means a lot of doors were slammed in my face, but I was already there. I continued to work at that. I am thankful for my mom always being so positive, and that that trait transferred to me that anything is possible. So I did become a model. There were interviews um, in Chicago to go to Japan for a few months. Where you would be tall. That's right. (laughs) I towered. (laughs) Looking back and like talking about this as my career, I'm just following these these open doors of opportunity and kind of like an adventure when when you look back and analyze it. But I believe that everything happens for a reason. I am thankful and I'm proud that I was was able to overcome obstacles and to be a fashion model in Japan. When I was in Chicago, when you're five foot four, you do Sears, you know, you're on a treadmill and you're like this little tiny uh, person um, making this treadmill look really big. And here I am doing fashion in Japan and more importantly, giving me strength and courage and confidence in myself. How old were you around this time that you were in Japan? Between 18 and 23. Okay, so you were quite young. So that must have been a culture shock to go from Daytona Beach to Chicago to Tokyo, was Mm -hmm. it where you were? Yes. So what was that like, suddenly being thrown into a drastically different culture than what you experienced growing up? You know what? Unless I saw my reflection in a mirror and I saw other Japanese people around me, I forgot that I wasn't the same as them. I really felt like I fit in with that culture. It was very polite and safe. I just had only positive experiences in my whole like modeling career. And I, I know there's a lot, a lot of negativity around and not so great experiences for other women or, or men too. But I only had positive experiences in that. Something else when I was in Japan, the knowledge that my dad had played baseball in Japan, I felt like I was learning a part of his life that he really rarely talked about. And that always grounded me while I was there. So then it sounds like 
surprisingly, modeling was a good experience. And Japan, not surprisingly, was a great place. (laughs) Having not been there, everyone I know that goes falls in love with that country. That's good to hear. Did you have to learn Japanese while you were there? I didn't have to. I learned enough to be friendly and polite and be welcomed and accepted. So enough to function. So how did you end up leaving Japan? So you were there for four-ish years, it sounds like, and then your life took you somewhere else. Well, living in Japan... I met somebody, fell in love, realized a little bit at that time that it was a little broken and I ran away from that. So I came back to the United States and that person that I had fallen in love with followed me here and we ended up getting married and having a beautiful daughter. During that time, things started to unfold that were a little unpleasant. I was experiencing domestic abuse, um, physically and emotionally, and I felt I felt really alone. You know, I always had my running to calm my nerves and and just as my escape. When my daughter was three years old, that was that realization that this is not the lifestyle that she should be brought up in, and seeing life through her eyes allowed us to get out of that situation and now transferring to like that next chapter of our life like how does a single parent you know survive and how do I provide for her I just kept that positive attitude I don't think I ever I I didn't miss a beat I left I got a job and um, I, I you know I moved back to Florida And my mom helped raise her, and I just got back on my feet, and I just kept running. So so I don't want to make you go too far into this or talk about any parts of it that make you uncomfortable. So at any point, just feel like saying, let's move on to a different topic. But I do think if we're going to broach this topic, there's some important things we should probably cover. So you were being abused physically and emotionally. I imagine there was a process for you to go from where you were to recognizing this isn't okay and something has to be done about this. As much as you want to talk about what was that progression from I'm here to I now realize this is not okay and something has to be done about this. Because someone else listening maybe is going through something similar. Yeah. And I, I I was a woman living in, you know, we were renting a house in Palos Verdes. So this is... This is not somebody that, I don't know, is poor on the street or what have you. This is average American. And I really, I didn't, I didn't start friendships because I, I realized that they would see how sad and that things were happening. I, I, I couldn't let anything out of my life um, to share with anybody else. So I really felt alone and I really needed my daughter Um, because that was someone that loved me and and she would love, you know, I would love her and she would love me. Were you concerned about her safety also? 100%. And um, she knows this, but her, you know, because of her, it saved our lives. So do you think because you wanted to keep her safe, that's what gave you the courage to keep both of you safe? Absolutely. And to this day, the the choices that I make are all to make my children proud of me and I've, you know, to make a difference. I realize now through 
the strength of finding the outdoors um, has really allowed me to to find my voice and to be vulnerable and okay with sharing some of these stories because I know I know it makes a difference. So did that become a coping mechanism for you in the end? Yeah, it took me a little bit of time. Um, I was in survival mode, you know, when she was little and I was a single parent, just just trying to work and pay the bills. And I was not thinking like, like what's the best career for me or anything. It is just work and, you know, put food on the table. That led me to another relationship that had its own difficulties, but it also gifted me with two little boys. So I went through my second marriage and and really just realizing that I had completely lost myself. And I, we decided to peacefully dissolve that marriage. And I made a hard, conscious decision of looking at myself and just kind of meditating. When was I the most happy? Who am I? What do I have to give to this world? What is my, what is my legacy going to be? I always think best when I'm running. So I just started thinking while, while I'm running and I realized like, I've never done a marathon before. I was like, you know what? I deserve some time. Like I'm going to train and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to complete this marathon. So I completed the LA Marathon and I was like well that wasn't so hard (laughs) you don't know that at mile seven you're like I feel great (laughs) like but don't don't get too cocky because this is not you got to get to 26.2 you keep on going mile 20 and like not so bad you know another another hour and I'll be this will be I'll have that medal and so that was the first marathon you'd ever run right yeah I was 41 years old I waited that long there's something Everybody knows you're supposed to run a marathon by the time you're 40. <laughs> is that a rule? It is a rule. Oh, no one the told, unspoken no rule. No one told me. Apparently, I've missed my opportunity. <laughs> right? And I'm 41. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a year late. So I do that. And there's something so empowering of a stranger putting a ribbon and a medal over your neck and saying, you did awesome. Congratulations. You finished. And it must not just be me because look at the tens of thousands of people that run marathons for a little medal and a stranger to say you did a good job but but they're of course not doing it just for that that represents everything that leads to that right right yeah but on the simplest level (laughs) it's the the t-shirt on the most rudimentary level yes they want a cheap ribbon attached to a piece of metal (laughs) and a stranger to place it over their neck So that felt good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that felt good. So if you've ever, let's just keep it to running. Like if you've ever finished a marathon, it's kind of like there's a little bit of depression because it's it's all over. Because you have to do all sorts of training leading up yeah. to it, right? And so for a long time, you can kind of focus your life around, I need to hit these milestones so that I can accomplish mm-hmm. this goal. Like anything, right? You've worked for so hard to accomplish this goal. The goal's done. Now what do you do, right? That's the situation you're talking about? And something to look forward to. So now that it's all over, I got to put something else in front of me to look forward to. And you can only look at that medal so many times and pat yourself <laughs> on the so back. It's so singular, you know, it doesn't have anything to cling no into. Right. <laughs> so I got on Google and I look for what's the prettiest uh, marathon and Catalina came up 
We're right here in Los Angeles, and we have this island offshore. I put my sights on Catalina Marathon, and I was just like, oh, well, that's on dirt. You know, I look up at the hills around Los Angeles, the Verdugo Mountains, and and that all seems really scary. I'm going to get lost. I'm going to get bit by a snake. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's uphill. So I joined a running group called the Santa Monica Mountain Goats. I came in there very proud. Because <laughs> you had a medal. I have a medal. So I'm jogging along. So, Cindy. And I look back on these clothes and it's not jogging clothes. It's, it's aerobics clothes. It's cotton. <laughs> so what's your running experience? I finished the LA Marathon. And they're like, well, that's cute because, you know, I do 50 mile races and I finished 100 mile. And then my ego like shrunk down. I hope that's the way they phrased it, too. I hope they said, well, that's cute. <laughs> yes. But running with them was actually a really positive experience. And they were all very kind. It wasn't the group running that that I thought it could be, whether look forward, breathe, you know, kick your heels up or okay, something. So it wasn't the ROTC. <laughs> right? You expected the ROTC. Right? Okay. And keep in mind, like, you know, I've been running by myself for years and years and also really afraid to, you know, haven't really made close relationships of friends and, and running became social. It came my lifestyle. I really opened up as a person, allowing myself to be vulnerable and, and share who I was. I continued to run with them. And I realized that a 50K is only about an hour more than a marathon. Yeah, because that would be, what, 30 miles? Right. And a marathon's, what, 26? So it's four more miles? Okay. Yeah. So running with the Santa Monica Mountain Goats, I first accomplished the Catalina Marathon. Which one did you like better, LA or Catalina? Catalina. It's got to be better, right? The word that came to mind, and I keep thinking about that, it's quaint. So literally, we walk from the boat where you're dropped off to go to the starting line. You just kind of go up. You don't see really a big line, but you're all just following the herd. And then <laughs> and then you get to some central location and they're like, go, you know. Is that your favorite part about marathons feeling like cattle? Is that your favorite part? <laughs> well, I did grow up in Florida. <laughs> yeah, the quaintness of trail races. And there were 600 people at the Catalina Marathon. And I felt like I was able to get to know about 500 of them between the picking up the shirts and getting the bibs to just having conversations on the boat. All I can say at that point is that I really enjoyed the people it was a real friendly atmosphere and a real healthy, healthy place for me to be. And then you had two medals. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a couple, but isn't a family yet. So I have a feeling oh my there gosh. are going to be more runs. <laughs> I have a family now, for sure. So I remember training in the Santa Monica Mountains. I believe I was by myself because I had gotten to know the trails. And I don't know if you've ever had that, if you've ever cried while running, but it's really hard to do when you when you're <laughs> but I'm half crying and then I start laughing and it makes me stop and I'm facing out on the Pacific Ocean and I'm here on this trail and I have the realization that my growing up camping and my love for running has all come together in this perfect circle and that I belong on the trails and this grounds me, it empowers me, it strengthens me, it makes me whole. 
And I never went back to road running after that. I stayed connected with the trail running family. I finished my first 50K on the trails, and that snowball just started rolling, and I started doing (laughs) 50 miles. Built into an avalanche. Yes, and I mean, those metals, when they crash together during an earthquake here in Los Angeles, it's going to be music. (laughs) Going through this, during this time, I I have to say it might have been a little selfish because it was really helping me overcome my past abuses. But then I noticed that I was getting a lot of attention. Even though I wasn't extremely active on Facebook at first, people would come up to me. Maybe it was a mother at the gymnastics studio saying, I saw you running. You you finished the LA Marathon or you did this. I'm going to do a marathon. The owner of the place where I bring my dog to have him groomed, you know, he's like, you run up and down the Chandler bike trail. I I see, I can run and I wanna do that. I started to realize that I was an influencer in the market. You know, whether I was purposely doing it, it was happening. And I realized that I have a voice and it's it's actually become my obligation to empower people that that nature can, can help heal. And I really started to really push that and stretch that. You know, now as much as possible, I help to guide people in the outdoors and I take them and and I really enjoy seeing their strengths and seeing them overcome obstacles in their life too. So how did you go about doing that? How did you go from running strictly for yourself to realizing you could help other people? What steps did you take? I know eventually you start guiding with REI. What was the process that got you there? I joined REI seven years ago. I realized that in the outdoor industry, they were leaders. That was that conscious decision. Like, finally, I can decide where my career wants to go. My kids are okay. And this is me looking at my life and where my strengths are and how I can make a difference. So I joined REI and I immediately identified that trail running and yoga wasn't at the core of who they were. So I asked the outdoor school if I could start a run club. And for a few years, it was no liability, liability, liability. After about three years, I was able to start a run club at uh, Manhattan Beach REI. It has become quite successful. Even when I switched stores, another woman took it over in the Manhattan Beach. I opened one in Woodland Hills, a Santa Monica run club opened up and Burbank we run at the Griffith Park now. So in the Los Angeles area we influence a thousand plus members. And the thing that I see when people come to us is I don't have any other friends that really want to do this. I don't know where the trails are. I don't know if I'm doing this right. And just like me when I started running I started because of the physical results of what happens when you're when you're fit and that feeling you have you have energy and you um, start your clothes get a little bit looser or what have you (laughs) you start to crave eating healthy foods (laughs) but the reason that you stay and the reason that clubs are thriving is because of the community 
It's the people and that kind nature of running on the trails and having those deep conversations that really bring us closer without that digital distraction. What are some of the examples of positive impacts you're seeing on people? Are there any particular anecdotes that come to mind? Yeah. One of the things that I do every year is I guide across the Grand Canyon. I take as many people as would like to. We train and we'll hike from rim to rim in one day. And a woman that joined us, she's been a friend of mine, not a marathon runner, not an ultra runner, but she knows that I I take people across every year and she's like, I want to do that. And I'm like, you can do that. We're not going at lightning speed. Just having that perseverance to continue once you get to the bottom to climb yourself out of this one mile deep hole in the ground. During this time in her life, she had been laid off. And so confidence was low and the interviews and things like that. It was not easy for her to get to the North Rim and climb herself out. So are you starting south and running north? That's correct. Oh, wow. You're doing it the hard way, (laughs) the harder way. It is steeper on the North Rim, but I don't believe that you've truly seen the Grand Canyon unless you've, you've climbed up the North Rim side. It is the most beautiful sections of the Grand Canyon, in my opinion. There was a point where we didn't think that we would get to the rim in time to meet the shuttle. We collected food from some of the other group, and I kind of sat down with her and said, you know, there's a there's a chance we're going to spend the night here on the rim. <laughs> was that a surprise to her? I think it was like, oh, hell no. And she ran up the entire side. <laughs> so you figured out what the motivator was. Yeah. And I mean, immediately upon getting to the North Rim, she's just like, I just crossed the Grand Canyon <laughs> with this big voice. And then within a few weeks, she landed a job with Carl Lagerfeld and she landed a great job. There is nothing more empowering than conquering something like that. Scary is not facing a CEO or a president of a company or, or any powerful person that you're intimidated by. You just conquer the Grand Canyon. It's just another person. You mentioned something earlier about how when you were running, it was kind of selfish. It was for sort of selfish reasons. And then you're talking about her doing this thing for herself. And, and one of the things I'd like to posit is that when we take time for ourselves to build ourselves into stronger people, that then bleeds back into your life, right? And so once you did this thing, which you could see as selfish, people became interested in you and you started to realize you were inspiring other people. And then you found a way to turn that into something to benefit other people. And then she has a similar experience where she takes the time to do something for herself and it helps reboost that confidence so that she can be more successful outside of that. I would argue that we all should do some things that are quote unquote selfish for ourselves as long as those things are beneficial to ourselves. There's a difference between being selfish right and just doing things for yourself and then just consuming those things around you. And then there's another thing about doing selfish things for yourself that builds you into a better part of society. Right. And I think that for me is recognizing that those accomplishments were a gift and to never waste a gift and make good of this and do something good for others with it. I've continued to keep that you know, forefront in my career when I make choices. So what does your life look like now? I would say my mantra is narrowed down into three words, engage, exert, and evolve. That kind of summarizes everything that, that I believe in, engaging in the outdoors, exerting yourself by pushing yourself a little bit 
further than what you think you have the ability to do. And the result of that is evolving. Today, I I just continue to create experiences in the outdoors that bring the community together. One of the examples is I create an event called Mount Wilson, Make It a Double. So this is not a timed event. You could push yourself to do two summits if you want to, but basically it's just bringing friends together and challenging yourself. And it's become this really fun event. It started, I wonder if I could do two Mount Wilson, which let me preface this by saying that it's 5,000 feet of climb per summit. So we're talking 10,000 feet of climb if you continue to do the two summits in 28 miles. So it's quite substantial. So it, so it is sincerely like your rim-to-rim run in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And just what I've recognized in the ultra running and racing is that you can be racing in this event with 300 people but still be alone. Sometimes if you get comfortable and you see a friend and you want to like start chatting and having this great conversation, but at a moment you're like, oh, I got to better my time because I'm feeling a little stronger. And then you leave them um, or they leave you and you're alone at this race. And I just believe that that the events that I create, people shouldn't be worried about time, but this enjoying each other. And it's grown from, you know, just 40 people coming together to, you know, around 100 annually. And I really just kind of stepped back from actually doing it myself and just enjoying facilitating the event and feeding them and keeping them healthy and inspired to go back up and do another summit. So one of the things you talked about earlier is how when you finished that first marathon and that goal was gone, you needed to find new goals. So what are those goals for you now? Oh, that's such other, an exciting other, other than having That's such another medals. podcast question. Like we, <laughs> this is the exciting part. So just observing the ultra running community and that we've accomplished 100 mile races. Now you start seeing 200 mile races popping up. Is there an end to what the human body can really put themselves through and how far are we going to push this? But what I see is fast packing is the next step and the next big thing for ultra runners. And the cool thing about it is you could be a backpacker, never run like an ultra race, but interested getting into fast packing, or you could be an ultra runner that kind of like wants to take it to the next level. I don't really want there to be ribbons to guide me. I want to <laughs> wait. You can do an activity that doesn't have a ribbon or a medal at the end. Is that is that a thing? You know, sometimes I look for ribbons <laughs> on the side of the highway to know what exit to get off of. So, so explain to everyone what fast packing is. Fast packing is backpacking at a lighter, faster pace. I would say an average for a backpacker, maybe 10 to 15 miles per day. Mm -hmm. A fast packer might put 18 to 25 in a day. It really depends on the elevation gain, the terrain, and and the weight really boils down to how uncomfortable do they really want to be. So it's ultra light as far as you can take it. That's correct. Because you don't want to be running with 40 pounds on your back if you can avoid it. Right. So I really see this, this next step in ultra running is more folks getting into fast packing and you're starting to see it in races for these staged races 
for me, that backpacking and fast packing really excites me. And so are you currently participating in fast packing or is this something that you're looking ahead to and you're working towards at the moment? Well, I don't know if I was fast, (laughs) (laughs) but I did dive head into the John Muir Trail this year and completed it in 14 days. I mean, that sounds pretty fast to me. But that's not a record-breaking time. I do balance enjoying the beauty of those moments. And that's that's the argument, right? Between like slow through hiking and fast through hiking where people say, oh, but if you go too quickly, you miss it. How do you balance that out for yourself? I wanted to every day set out at about 7.30 and finish between four or five in the afternoon before sunset. I wanted to enjoy the waterfall, the lakes, the alpine lakes um, before sunset, but also really challenge myself. What a gift. Unbelievable beauty. Every single night beside a rushing stream, I swam in an alpine lake over 10,000 feet. It was cold, but it wasn't as bitter cold as I anticipated. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done, too, because there's an element of if I, if I eat that extra snack today, am I going to have food on day five? Right. Or am, am I going to run out? You know, so there's food. There's, am I going to get lost? Will my water purifier break? Will a bear attack me when I go to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laying it out Spoiler, there. Spoiler, no. No, a bear did not. <laughs> that's what everybody thinks. No one's just afraid to talk about so, it. So here's, here's what I'm curious about. So so JMT, John Muir Trail that we're talking about, it's 260 miles, right? Something somewhere along those lines. Well, it's 211. 211. That's but that okay. ends you at the top of Mount Whitney and you right. have to come down. And there's lots of elevation change along the way. So over 200 miles, many people do it in three to four weeks. You're talking about doing it quickly. You did it in two weeks and you're fast packing, which means you're trying to carry as little as possible, but you must carry enough food to get you from point to point. So what were the logistics like for that? How much did your pack weigh? And was it substantially lighter than the average backpacker? I didn't do such a great job (laughs) at that, like, ultra light. Because, I mean, you're still carrying shelter. You have to. The weather there can be mercurial. So I imagine you carried a tent and not just a tarp or something along those lines. Yeah, I didn't want any scorpions crawling into my tent (laughs) or snakes cozying up beside me while I slept. They so just yes, sat I outside tent. your tent and a little tear fell down their snake eyes because they were sad they couldn't quite reach you to cuddle. <laughs> so what was that pack like? It was pretty heavy. <laughs> so it was you, extreme packing. Okay, so you were fast packing because you were moving quickly, but you weren't fast packing because you were going light. Okay, fine. It might have been were, 40 pounds. So you were backpacking at a fast rate. <laughs> Which might have been while it was so hard. But it's a start. And I knew that I wanted to take it to this next level and I dove right in. And I'm so thankful that, that I did. I've, I have so many experiences and stories that I bring back to our ultra running community. And what I found that any time that I cared to bring it up and start talking about backpacking, fast packing, or the John Muir Trail, they are ready to go. When can I go with you next? And so is that what's on the horizon? Are you planning another JMT fast pack trip or is it something else that you're working towards now? I think that we can we can build to a longer backpacking trip. I think that there are the traverses that I have in store, the Catalina Traverse, Zion Traverse. This June, I plan to do the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier and maybe building up to 
I don't know, something in the Alps. Let's go big. So you mentioned that you have this run club and that you do guiding. Also some teaching with REI. Do you do any of the outdoor schools or is it strictly Mm -hmm. guiding? Yeah, so all of those things. So tell us about what classes and activities you offer and how people would be able to find those things and access those things. So with the outdoor school, because I also work on the retail floor full time. I have accepted that my biggest strength is in trail running. I personally only teach the trail running run club classes. I've also taught for REI Outessa, which is an all women's retreat. That's been going on for three years. And I actually created the trail run program. And at the Outessa Waterville last year, I was asked to be the keynote speaker to kind of set the tone of the event. And I took that opportunity to, to be vulnerable and tell my story because I don't believe that it's fair to listen to other people's story unless I'm willing to to be vulnerable and, mm-hmm. and share my experience. And I'm so pleased that I did because women came up to me during that weekend, sometime teary-eyed and a pat on the back and thank you for sharing. This has changed my life. And just that story was find your strength this weekend and take it back home with you. You know, when you're in the boardroom, when you have difficult conversations, when you have troubles in your personal life, whatever those obstacles are, like take this strength of riding down a mountain on your on your mountain bike or summiting a mountain, take that strength with you like back home and apply it to your personal life. Just having them share those stories with me, I just know that I'm in the in the right space with REI and then I'm able to influence more women. And so if people did want to take some of those courses or mm-hmm. attend some of those events, would it be as simple as going to REI? Yep. Is it slash REI. learn or what is it? REI.com slash learn. And then they can sign up for whatever they want in their area. Yep. There's plenty of women's only classes, backcountry skills, backpacking. And what about you? What if they're curious about you? They want to follow your adventures or or read the things you share with the with the world? How would they go about finding those things? I'm still very public on Facebook. I am Cindy Wyatt, C-Y-N-D-I, just like Cindy Lopper. Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T, like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> and There's a combination there, Cindy Lopper and Wyatt Earp. <laughs> it's quite a combination. <laughs> I'm also um, an ambassador for Loa Boots. So many times when I go on my adventures, I'll write a blog and they'll post it on their site as well. And then I think what we'll do is wrap it up now. And what I like to do here at the end is ask if there's a final thought you want to leave the audience with? I just challenge everyone to seek their strength in Mother Nature. Go on a hike, even if it's sitting at a park. I encourage you to think about the three words that's my mantra, engage, exert, evolve. Engage yourself in the outdoors. If you're having trouble making a decision or work life, home life, take a walk in the park. Let Mother Nature just calm you and allow you to think and make the right decision. Exert yourself, push yourself, because don't put barriers in front of yourself. You can accomplish so much more than what you think you can. You will evolve into a better person. I promise you. And then do something with that. It's a gift. 
influence others, please. I think that is great to leave everyone with that. I appreciate you coming out in the rare Los Angeles weather to sit in this makeup room with me so that we can record. This is the first time we've ever recorded in a makeup room. So so thank you very much for coming out and thanks for coming and being on the show. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate the opportunity. As I mentioned before, we recorded this episode back in January, and since then, a number of things have happened, including Cindy creating Chickaboom. Chickaboom is the place for women to ask other outdoors women the questions that maybe they're afraid to ask. So we at ButcherBird Studios helped Cindy and others record two live episodes of a Chickaboom talk show focused on those questions that women want answered, such as what are the things keeping you from getting out in the outdoors and how do you deal with the three P's, peeing, pooping, and periods in the outdoors. We recorded two episodes about those topics direct to Facebook Live, where the audience could interact and ask questions themselves. And we also have those archived both on Facebook and on YouTube, which takes me to the time that you know has come. Time to go to our website, gogetoutside.com. Look for this episode 84 with Cindy Wyatt, and there you're going to find photos of Cindy in action and links to everything we talked about in today's show including embedded video of that second episode of Chickaboom and links to where you can follow along with Chickaboom on Facebook or on YouTube because they are working to turn it into an ongoing series and currently working towards hosting live events at REI and other places in the future. So if you want to support Cindy and other outdoors women, Chickaboom is a good place to go. And it's a great place to go if you just have a lot of questions that you want answered by people who care. Thanks again to Wild Woman Box for sponsoring today's show and a reminder to all of you to go to wildwomanbox.com and sign up with Get Outside as your promo code and save $5. And if you would like to communicate with us here at the show, there are a number of ways to do that. Go at butcherbirdstudios.com is how you can email us or give us a call 818-925-0106. You can leave us a voicemail up to three minutes or send a text message to that number. And if you would do us all a great big favor, head to your podcast purveyor of choice, subscribe, rate, review, and share this show with someone who would appreciate it. This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan, with additional help by Griffin Davis, and as always, brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. Next time on the show, come back May 16th for the penultimate episode of the season, the return of fan favorite Alden Anderson. You may remember him from way back in season one. Alden is three years into a six-month trip around Europe and Asia, currently living in Vietnam. And he and I spoke over Skype one night about his new perspectives, having lived as a true nomad for the last three years. So come back May 16th, the return of Alden Anderson. See you then. <laughs>